guess. Hello world, huh? <laughs> oh, wow! In your life have you seen anything like that? Light the candle! What? Well, I thought Poulter was number two in the world. <laughs> um. <laughs> Expect anything different? All possible, Garrett. Yes, it is, Frank. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and how about the wry smile on Tiger's face? Yeah. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 85 of the Sunday Red Podcast. I'm Simo, joined today in the intro with my man, Ricks. Ricks, what's happening, buddy? Nothing too much. Call. how are you doing, buddy? I'm great. Can't complain. That's, that's little fall weather, everybody. sweaters, you know? I, you got the Jays hoodie on. They're leaking oil lately. They are I, leaking uh, oil. Hu- not a huge baseball guy, but I know uh, the Jays are on a bit of a slide, and there's uh, just outside that wild card spot, if I'm not mistaken, right? A couple games back, but we got yeah. a couple big series coming up. So if we can, uh, we can finish off. Maybe uh, we don't. We can't afford to lose too many more. Let's just say that. Maybe we can afford to lose one, two more, and sneak into a wild card spot. So that's what we're hoping for. Okay, I will say this. I'm not a Jays fan. I do enjoy going to Jays games when I'm in the Toronto area, for sure. Um, I think the Jays have an exciting roster, but baseball has to be the most boring thing to watch in the world. It's awful. It's awful to watch. Awful. You know who deserves seven-figure salaries? Is baseball commentators. (laughs) That's true. Do like 162 games or whatever is a year. What do they talk about? Like, I understand, like, there's some, like, variables in baseball with the pitching and percentages and numbers, and it's a huge analytics game. But, like, at some point, you have to run out of information, and you're just digging in the well. And I feel like that happens in every fifth inning of every baseball game, unless it's close. Yeah, they're, they're running three, four hours sometimes. I'm sure there's some prep that goes along with it, but they just have to ad-lib for hours. I, I think they have, like, an umbrella of people working underneath them that they're feeding them tidbits throughout, like, the whole game and the season like there's no way they have a piece of paper with all the information that they're, they're regurgitating out when you're watching a baseball game but yeah that's where i stand on baseball and uh we'll move on from that but football's in full swing too i've actually been enjoying i was never a huge football guy but we've had some good thursday and sunday nighters this year Absolutely. like the primetime games and like and i've got into football because i'm a fantasy guy um I'm not a fantasy guy, but I play fantasy, I should say. Yeah. Um, red Zone is off the charts. If, if anyone's a football fan and they don't watch Red Zone, I understand if you have a team, you probably just want to watch that game. But I don't like watching football games. Like, Red Zone is where it's at. Keeps me interested. Yeah, I don't really watch full football games until it gets close to playoffs and in the playoffs, to be honest. I'm a ticker watcher, so I make sure that okay. the scoreboards are always there. Who's in the Red Zone? Like you said, that's why Red Zone's so good. But I, I need to know if my guys are getting touchdowns, how many points I'm getting on the board. I'm 2-1 and one this year. A little bit upset about okay. that, my fantasy record, but uh, hopefully we can make some moves here. Well, two and one's a good start. That's what I say. That's I'm, I think I'm two and one too, and I'm super happy with my position because I don't know shit about football players. <laughs> I just like my guys. But yeah. you know what? Now that I've played multiple seasons in a row and I'm watching a game and I don't have like my fantasy up, I forget who's on my team because I cheered for these guys in previous years. Yes. And like I'm like yes, and then I like look, I'm like oh, he's not even on my team anymore. Fuck. I'm playing against yeah. him this week. Yeah, exactly. So that's like a huge, uh, a huge swing of emotions when I'm watching football. But uh, let's get into some golf talk as well here, because I have I played nine holes by myself the other night. Okay. Just a late night one. It's like dark. I I finished uh, doing some rentals on the house. I'm like, I just need to go out and play. What yeah. like whatever. Just went out there by myself. Of course, it was dead. It was shitty weather too, and it's starting to get dark at like eight thirty here now. So you kind of have to tee off early. 
Are you ready to hear these nine holes? I'm ready for it. Oh my God, this is insane. Because I've documented my struggles lately on the golf course, especially to you and Gibber, maybe even not even recording. Um, I went out there to play nine holes, back nine. Went to the back nine at Fort William. Love it. Uh, I love the back nine there. A little bit more trouble. You have to be a little bit more precise. And that's where this leads me. Because I, first hole, like you have to, it's a par five, you have to hit six iron. Okay. And, and I'm playing blue tees because I can't shoot even par anymore period <laughs> okay. i used to like it usually and last year a black I think I played, option there's like black yeah okay yeah so i like last year to put in context i played the black tees probably 95 percent of the rounds i played this year i've played the blue tees probably 90 percent of the rounds I played. maybe more now i don't 95. mind that i know i just need more birdie opportunities like i'm not i'm just i was driving it so poorly that i'm like okay once i shoot under par from the blues then i'll play that blacks for the rest of the year but i haven't been under par from the blues yet <laughs> Just gotta get that just bro- it backfired yeah. i thought it was gonna be like a three-round thing i'm yeah. like okay yeah i'll just like get some birdies and then like move on back and the the difference between the decks aren't crazy they're just maybe like three holes where it like is a significant difference yeah anyway so i hit six iron off the tee the second shot's like a really really difficult shot you kind of have to hit it over trees to a fairway that's going crooked but it's like over a valley i try and hit five iron clip the top of the trees lost ball in the house <laughs> Like whatever, like I'm like I already lost the ball. I've I've hit two golf shots. I'm like not good, but I hit I, like the swing was good. I'm like okay, a little optimistic about that. I the way it crossed, I'm like 210 yards away from the hole still, like because it's like like it's crooked. I don't know how yeah. else to describe it. I hit four iron to three feet. No, yeah, tapping par. I'm like, Love it. Perfect. Let's go. Uh, yeah, let's go. I'm I'm ready. And it was a nice little actually slider as a putt too. That green's ridiculous. Next hole is like a 130-yard par three. Like really tricky green. Like it, it plays small. I hook this ball 30 yards OB. <laughs> okay. Like two lost balls early. 30 might 30 might be uh, exaggeration or under-exaggeration, my mistake. This was in the middle of the backyard. I, I went in the backyard and picked up my, my golf ball. Yeah. <laughs> hit, my, hit my provisional to two feet, tap and bogey. Like, okay, whatever. One over par, two lost balls technically. I'm like, let's just, uh, let's go here. Next, uh, next one's a par five, one of the best holes on the golf course. Uh, forced carry over water on the second shot. By some divine miracle, I hit a drive right on the screws. Had three wood in. It was Ooh. like a little bit wet, I'll say. Hit three wood to like four feet. Eagle it. We're back, baby. With two lost. We're balls. back. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm like, I'm super excited. Get to the next hole. I, I this year I've been hitting driving iron off this hole, like for okay. the most part, tight par four. You don't want to get into trouble. Driving iron should literally eliminate any trouble possible. I, I hook this thing eighty yards and over. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. okay, so that 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 was a lost ball. Like that one had no chance. Yeah. It, it kind of had a chance if it would have hit a tree right on the screws, but no chance. So I, I hit another driving iron, like kind of like a little or whatever, thin one down the middle. I still have like 170 yards. Jug it. No, you didn't. Yeah. For par. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I lost two balls in this 11, 12, and 13, and I played them like under under par. I was buzzing. <laughs> I'm like, this is crazy. Like, so like the precision of the iron strikes that were good were awesome. But then there was like a 40 yard hook in there at some point. Yeah. So I, I bogey, I make a routine bogey. I've been starting to call them routine bogeys on the next one instead of pars. Routine bogey on 15. Drive 16. It was a little downwind. I'm super happy. Three whack it for par. Oh. I'm like, just awful. Just yeah. awful. Uh, next hole, hit it for like, it's a right pin. The green's like 70 yards wide. I hit it. 
I hit it like, I don't know, on the left fringe. Like I hooked it another one that yeah. bad again because I'm obviously aiming for this like little push draw. I hook it again. I uh, So I'm putting from like, yeah, it's like, I don't know, at least 70 feet. I, I put it like rolls down the slope, but the pins in the hole still, I was too lazy to take the pins out. And you know, those ones that like hit the pin and like should go in, but they like ricochet yeah. off the pin and it doesn't drop uh, that happened. Uh, so I'm like, so I'm like still, I'm still hanging on. I think I'm like one over par at this point in the round. And then, uh, my tee shot on 18, I hook it onto the range. <laughs> What'd you make Dublin? Yeah. I made a devil. <laughs> How about that nine holes of golf? Like that could have been a fifty, or that could have been a thirty. Like if you I know. play better ball, yeah. If I take away like four swings, I'm laughing, baby. But uh, that was my that, that's my little tidbit of that's how my golf game's going right now. In a, like a nice little screenshot of nine holes, um, oh there's flashes of brilliance, God. and then there's just like awful swings. But I uh, just the tips. We'll throw just the tips out okay. there right now. I need to weaken my grip. It's strong right now. Uh, it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And like, I somewhat have a little bit over the top swing. Like, and I like being above the plane. I don't mind that one bit. But if you're a player that has an over top of golf swing, I'm going to say like what, 60 to 70% of players are probably a little bit over the top. Oh yeah. You Easy. cannot play with a strong grip. No, you cannot have a you club, you, closed club face coming into the ball. Yeah. So you're, so you're like counteracting like the, the, the path to the face angle. Yeah. And you know what? It, it's taken me like eight rounds to figure this out. And I consider myself someone that understands a lot about a golf swing. How bad is that? So that's where we are right now. We're leaking oil, but like I'm going to hit the range tonight, men's night tomorrow. We're going low. I'm yeah. optimistic again. Yeah, a and, and the guys I play with are probably going to listen to this tomorrow morning and just die laughing because they've seen me shoot 87 last year. I have never heard that four-hole stretch that you just went through in my entire life. That is wild. And, you know, I don't think I've had anything like that before. It's wild. It was, it was but you know what? I wasn't even happy when I hold out that shot for Paul. <laughs> no, I was you, just, like, depressed. Yeah, yeah like, are, I'm you just up, like, are you happy or are you upset? Like, it's kind of like you're mixed emotions at that point. Yeah, I... It's, it's a struggle, but that's just a nice little snapshot of uh, how things have been going for me. Um, your game, have you played recently? Haven't played recently, playing two times this week though. So hopefully uh, keep those feels going from a week and a bit ago. So that's what I'm going with. Okay, I love that. I hope you keep the, the good juju going. Uh, we had Ryder Cup week this week. We did have Ryder Cup. And just before we jump into Ryder Cup, we do have an interview for you guys today. Charles Fitzsimmons, awesome interview. So stay tuned for that. But let's jump into a little Ryder Cup now. Okay, I will say that uh, for those uh, trying to improve their mental game, uh, Charles was off the charts. That that interview, like even just myself as a golfer that like enjoys the game and like wants to get better, just like probably 100% of the people that listen to this podcast, they want to get better at golf. That's a really good one to help improve your own game. He's a, just a one big, just the tips from Charles. That's a compliment yeah. right there. Yeah. Just, just the tips. He's a big yeah. one. Um, okay. Ryder cup. I mean, we were at whistling straits in Wisconsin. Let's talk about the golf course first. Yeah. Super exciting Unreal. to watch golf at whistling straits. That course won this week. A hundred percent. Would have yeah. been. And, oh man, like just the way I always knew it was a good stroke play, um, venue. I mean, because from the PGAs, uh, did you know VJ won a PGA championship there in 04? I did. Okay. Um, <laughs> I always knew it was a good stroke plate uh, event. I know they shortened it up for the Ryder Cup. They made it like 7,400 yards instead of 77 or whatever it usually plays. Um, super exciting to watch matches. Um, oh, yeah. It's just structured so well. Like the first hole was super cool. Um, 
they're along Lake Michigan the whole way around. You can see the lake from pretty much every hole. Really tricky in some spots, but really fair in others. There's always places to miss. Yep. And, I mean, it led to a lot of birdies and a, and a lot of excitement, mostly on the U.S. side. Um, but that golf course is awesome. I always love when a, the 17th hole is a good, hard par three. And I think you yeah. mentioned that maybe last podcast. That was a the penultimate hole. My buddies made fun of me for saying that on the 17th hole the other day. Um, I, I love how those matches ended on that hole. Lots of matches didn't get to 18 as well. I know. It was rough. It was a rough week. It, it started early. I think it was the U.S. versus John Rahm. I mean, no one else I feel like on the European side had anything to give outside of him. And then Rom on uh, on Sunday just got absolutely walked by our boy Scotty, who you guys said would kind of this would be his uh, coming out party, which it definitely was for him. What what uh, what a showing! But yeah, it was it was a tough few days. I will say myself, like I did watch a lot on Friday and Saturday. I was glued same to with, the TV. Same with me. I was glued same to with the me. TV. It came into Sunday. I it kind of had that feel. I'm like, there's not a chance this is happening. I kind of watched early. Um, I was in and out all day, but I was really glued uh, Friday and Saturday. Sunday was more of just kind of a, it was inevitable what was about to happen, especially with that ROM match. You knew right away it was over. So it was, it was unfortunate there, but the Friday and Saturday, like what an event. I think for myself, I wasn't a huge Ryder Cup guy before I did this podcast. This is probably the first Ryder Cup that I really sat, watched, enjoyed the whole thing. What an event. What an, what an event. There's nothing like it. And there is nothing really like it at all. And you see it through the players' emotions as well, like in their interviews and how much it means to them. I think that's uh, that's super cool. And this wasn't even like a full Ryder Cup. But like we didn't get the European fans. Like usually there's like more tension building throughout the matches, which is like I think is the coolest part. Everyone's investment, like they have like that little bit of patriotism, I guess. Like when you're watching the matches, you have someone to cheer for. There's booze. There's cheers when players miss shots. Yeah. There's, I I think it's just it it just brings a whole other dimension to golf, and I think it, the the team aspect. I I sh- truly believe that team sports are better than individual sports. I agree. Um, and and when you can make a golf a team sport, like we talked about, we would we want the Olympics to be at some point. Um, I think it just brings that extra level of competitiveness and like cheering for someone and like going through the motion or the emotions in a match with someone else, I think is a, is a cool thing to watch the best players in the world do. Yeah. And you can, you kind of see it like Jordan always goes to those events and he mentions it. He's like, finally, these guys experience a little bit of what they had to experience in basketball. And you got Steph Curry there. Like it brings out everyone too. like, it's such a, such an atmosphere. I'll be excited for the next one. I think the next one's in Barcelona, Rome, Italy. Is it in Rome? Yeah, Marco Simeone Golf and Golf and Country Club, Rome, Italy, 2023. Um, We'll get to, well, we'll just say it. Europe's in big trouble heading into that right now. You look at their roster, they're aging. Um, Their their best players, the best European players didn't play their best other than, of course, the world number one, John Rahm, who separated himself in the conversation of who's the best player in the world. And we've said multiple times on this podcast that John Rom is going to be a solidified number one for a long time. Yeah. Do you remember that? I remember, remember I said that, that and, said like, that. and he lost it like the next week? Yeah, last year. <laughs> <laughs> that was sad, but I, I mean it again. And I, I said it after the memorial and stuff like that. Uh, uh, the, this has the, been the biggest separation as far as a world number one, I feel, as a dominant player since Tiger. I I, wow. re- I truly believe that. That's a bold statement because I it know is. Rory and DJ had some good runs, but I think he's separating himself as far as quality of ball striking. And his putter was hot too. Um, 
and I'll just quickly say, yeah, Rom went three one and one. Um, Sergio went three one and zero, oh, and those were the only two guys above five hundred. Yeah. On Team Europe, um, you look at their roster. I mean, Poulter's not getting any younger. Um, I would argue that Poulter actually played pretty good. His partner I did to too. exactly help him in those two yeah. matches. Uh, Lee Westwood. This might have been his last Ryder Cup. Yeah. Getting old. Um, uh, I don't know if you want to get into the Rory talk or anything like that right away. Um, I love Rory to death. Best interview in golf. Easy. Uh, he listens to the interview. It's like, honestly, like when he, he, he's receiving a question, he like thinks about it and he's like, he's actually talking to the reporter rather than giving him those generic answers, which is like, I find is, uh, one of his best qualities. And I think he's just a caring person. He was pretty emotional. He knew he didn't have his A game for this Ryder cup. Um, and then you look at like, uh, Paul Casey, he probably hit his last shot in the Ryder cup as well. He went all four. No, that's tough. Um, I, and I think Casey struggled quite a bit. Um, Weisberger was actually pretty good despite not winning a match or or tying a match. He, he was surprised pretty good. Decent. Yeah, he was yeah. surprised. Hit hit a lot of good shots under pressure. Fitzpatrick was just blah. Bad. He, he didn't have like I mean yeah he just didn't have the ball striking I feel for whistling straights. Um, and I mean yeah we can uh, we can Fleetwood skip over struggles. here for the most yeah, part we'll, we'll yeah but everyone I feel like everyone struggled. Everyone yeah, struggled uh, they're going to need an overhaul change, and I, they don't necessarily have the top prospects rolling through either. They have a couple guys like Bobby McIntyre, and like there's a there's a couple good college players, but uh, they're going to have to they're going to have to muscle up, and hopefully there's some European Tour players that really step up in the next couple of years to make uh, the next Ryder Cup a little bit more exciting. Um, let's quickly zip through the United States team. I won't read through everyone's record because no one wants to hear that, and you can look it up. But DJ five and zero. Oh, Historical Ryder Cup for him. Impressive. Uh, there's only been so many, uh, so many five and old players. Last one to do it was Molinari. Uh, oddly enough, last Ryder Cup, but like before that, I think the last U.S. player to do it was like Arnold Palmer in like '76. Wow. Something. Yeah. So that's a that was a big one. Um, let's talk about Bryson. Let's yeah just quickly do it because he won over the hearts of a lot of Americans. And I think Brooks Kepka doesn't hate him as much anymore. They got the t-shirts made. They had made the team made them hug and stuff. I still don't think they're friends, but at least they're friendly. Or yeah, would you agree? I agree. Um, I, I, they're probably not okay. best friends, but I think that, I, in my opinion, I think Brooks and a lot of us now kind of have a better understanding of who Bryson is. That couldn't have been put in better terms, for sure. We get Bryson. We kind of know who he is. But he's the ultimate showman too. He, he is. He was. He was out there to put on a show for those American fans. Like, I mean, let's talk about the 471 yard drive he hit on that par ridiculous. five that I talked about. That Bubba had a pitching wedge in. He had a flip lob wedge in. Yeah, it was ridiculous. That was ridiculous. <laughs> like Scotty Scheffler hit one 307 down like the left fairway, and he was like 200 yards behind Bryson's yeah. ball. It was crazy. Uh, I haven't seen anything like that. And of course, on Sunday, he like, was it Sunday? Yeah, it would have been Sunday Sunday. singles. He drove the green on number one, carries it all the way, like has like this, like, I want to say 35 footer, cashes it right in the middle. Like, I think he was playing against Sergio. Sergio's like, like laughing, like, what else do you do? And Bryson's walking off the green. It's like gladiator. He's holding his putter in the air. Like he's holding us. the sword of David or he's like walking off. Like he's like triumphant. I'm like, this is actually funny. That was so impressive. And, uh, and he, he showed up, he went, uh, two Oh and one. So, uh, that was a good Ryder cup. Uh, captain Stricker also did a really good job of hiding him away from alternate shot. 
I didn't think he felt comfortable putting Bryson in alternate shot, which is kind of fair. Um, but the better ball, him and uh, him and Scotty Scheffler were dynamite. Great team. And he, you're mm-hmm. right. I think he, he revamped his image a little bit. It was great for Bryson. I think uh, he made up fans out of a lot of people who weren't fans of him. And me and my friends were talking yesterday. We were playing hockey. And we're like, he's kind of like that. You know, you know, you have one of those friends or a bit. I wouldn't say a bit nerd, but they say they're a bit nerdy and they like, you'll be in a conversation and try to like pipe in with a joke to try to like be one of the boys and it just doesn't hit like the timing's off or like something's there. He's got like a great heart sometimes, you know, he's got like a great heart. He's a great guy to be around if you actually met him, but he's got his little quirks and he's just like, that's who he is. But I think uh, he won over a lot of hearts there and uh, I was happy to see that. I was. I kind of was too. You know what? I just like the showmanship of the Ryder Cup. Like, yeah. I don't like arrogance or anything like that, but he, there was a crowd that was cheering for him and he was going to let him know. And, like, we're just one more example of that on number 10 or whatever. He, uh, he's sitting there with his caddy. He has his driver out there trying to figure out the yardages and stuff like that. And his caddy pulls out three wood and gives him three wood. And the crowd, like, oh, like, is around because they obviously everyone's there to see Bryson hit driver. Like, everyone wants to see him put on the green. And he looks around at the gallery, and he's like, relax. I'm still going for it. <laughs> yeah, right. That's and he awesome. just piped it right on the front fringe, pretty much. It's like, that's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, uh, oh, he's on TV right now. And it's just, it, it's, it seemed pretty cool. We talked about uh, Scotty Scheffler. Uh, JT, uh, he's like, to me, he's like probably the new Captain America, I guess. He, he embraces all things Ryder Cup. But I also don't like how whiny he is with the putts not being conceded. I know. Up, Just hit your up, putt. Up. Knock it in. Like, listen. Every opponent has the right to make you make your putt. There, there's no time in a match where it's like you you have to be obligated to give someone a putt. I don't think that's that's not right. Like, you could you should putt everything. And if it's that dinky of a putt, then just roll it in. Yep. If there's any doubt that you miss it, you should never complain. So they're, like, putting the putters down on the ground um, with the grip length or whatever. I, I hated that. And I didn't... I know Shane Lowry's an awesome guy, and I don't know if he's mocking JT or not, but I, I don't love that motion, really. It's just like, eh, let's just make your putt move on. I agree. Uh, I agree. Uh, so, I will say the one thing, Stricker did a good job, but the one thing I was really surprised about is, uh, especially on Friday, he put Spieth out an alternate shot, but didn't put him out in better ball, which I thought, like, knowing Spieth's game, like, Spieth is a better ball guy. Like, that's who you want playing better ball, because even if he's struggling, he's going to scr- scratch out five birdies. So you put him mm-hmm. with someone decent, he's there. That was the one thing I was a little bit shocked by, and he, he played alternate shot both days. And I know they, they won the second match, but that was a bit surprising to me. Yeah. And, like, I mean, if they weren't playing John Rom on the first match, they they would have won, too. Yeah, they would have. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. Um but uh, yes, I mean we're not going to mention Spieth without mentioning that that flop shot he hit off ridiculous. the railroad ties. That pr- the little ball tracer is the most ridiculous pro tracer. Whole I I knew the shot was good. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, he ran down the hill. He did a good job not falling in the lake, really, because he had speed. When you have speed, and he's either he's going down or going in the lake. He did a good job of that. He's I guess he's pretty athletic. But that ball, how high it went in the air. And how it landed that close to the hole. It's funny that JT missed the putt. But that is yeah. like an iconic Ryder Cup shot from years to for years to come. How legendary would it have been if he went in the lake? Oh man. <laughs> I, I, there's a moment where I thought he was going to, like, cause like the, the ground is so like uneven and shitty, like around those bunkers and stuff. Like it's not me. I'm like, this is one step away from him just like completely tumbling. Oh, yeah. And it was super steep. 
That would have been that would have been unbelievable. Kepka was really good this week. Uh, yeah. I know his record was just two and two, um, but he was extremely impressive and he played way better than two and two. He ran into John Rom twice too. I agree. He played great, and I think the other guy who kind of uh, is solidifying himself continuously as a star is Colin Morikawa. Yeah, and that guy and- in big moments shows up. Yeah, he doesn't have too many flaws in his game. No and I doubted Morikawa and DJ. I dig big time because yep. I didn't know about Morikawa's injuries or DJ hasn't been on form. Was I ever wrong? And it cost the old bank account. Let me tell you, the Bulldog <laughs> didn't go up this week. Um, and then, like, just Finau, awesome team player. He was below 500, though, and Harris English, I thought, played pretty solid, too. He had a really shitty putting day, day two, Saturday. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I, I think he, the stage wasn't too big for him. And then uh, we got Xander Shoffley smoking the cigar with love the link. That. Have you seen that video? Love that. Oh, I love that. You know what it reminded me of? That Joe Burrow after he won like 100%. The, the national championship yeah. and he's just walking or whatever. Um, Xander had his own cigar moment, which I thought was pretty awesome. Or when they asked DJ if he can still keep up with the young guys throughout the night, he's like, absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome everyone kind of gave a good laugh there um i don't hate a lot of the u.s players i just never cheer for them in the Ryder cup but it was this one was uh this one is the one of the most predictable Ryder cups i think we've seen we both picked the united states to win um they won way more handedly than i thought 199 i think it's the biggest point margin for 50 yeah. years and i don't want to go through all the oh. players but i do want to mention cantley did show some emotion which was really nice to see from him i think he yeah, he grew some fans and uh that dude is a stone cold killer i think after saturday he looks at the team he said i want 20 like he wanted to put his foot on their throat send a message i like that i love hearing stuff like that yeah cantley's got a crazy set of ears on him eh? he does yes no bucket without the hat it, with the yeah with the hat without the hat which like i didn't know if anyone from the u.s would go hatless i like that cantley kind of did though it's like a Ryder cup thing those years are off the charts <laughs> it just made me laugh um oh that's all uh, yeah Ryder cup was awesome that's all i really have to say about that other than i'm really concerned about europe going forward for the next one um they're going to need a, a an overhaul of a lot of young guys and i just don't know if they I don't know the European side of things as well, so maybe I'm just my fingers are crossed that they have some young studs coming up. Yeah, they need some talent, or that could be walked again in 2023. But um, they usually always show up. This is the first time they really haven't shown up in a long time, so I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. Let's not hit the panic button yet. Is what we're yeah, saying. Ryder Cup win, uh, week an absolute win. Um, and uh, just to cap that off before we jump into the interview, is uh, Bryson's in the long drive thing today in Mesquite, Nevada. So. We'll kind of we'll we'll keep everyone updated on how that goes. What's your prediction? Week. What's your prediction? Like how far he hits it? I think the conditions determine how far the guys. No, but what's hit your it. like? How do you think he's going to do overall? You think he's going to like? I don't know. Actually, know how it works. You go head to head against a guy, right? I think there's like qualifying rounds, and then you go to like match play with like the top sixteen. Do you think he's going to get into the match play? I think top 16 is achievable. I do too. and and Because he hits it straight too. There's exactly. a lot of default losers in that. And he understands how to play under pressure. A lot of these guys, and they're going up against Bryson, knowing the TV is going to be on him. There's a ton of cameras. I think the nerves will kind of get to a lot of those guys. So I do think he has a massive advantage there. I can't believe how straight he drives the ball. I know. He's like hitting his driver at pins. Like, oh, man, it's crazy talented. Yeah, crazy it's ridiculous talented. what he's doing. 
Um, okay, let's uh, let's go on the interview. You guys will enjoy this one. Yeah, you guys are gonna love it. Charles Fitzsimmons, let's jump right in. Mr. Huff, Mr. Giner is ready for your interview. Actually, we'll be interviewing as a team. We're here to fuck shit up. What is happening, everybody, and welcome back to another interview here on the SRP. Today, we are joined by the founder of Eclipse Performance, the Team Ontario mental coach, the 2021 Canadian mid-amateur champion, and as we like to call him, the Reg Don of OUA Golf. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Charles Fitzsimmons. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. It's a, it's a blast <laughs> to be here, especially with a, a nice warm introduction like that. It is our pleasure. Had to throw in the old Reg Dunlop there. And for those of you who don't know, Fitzy, he was he was able to play OUA golf for 12 straight years. So 13. Uh, don't thir- 13. Oh, 13. So he has more. He set the record about 17 years ago uh, for the number of rounds, and he p- proceeded to play about 14 more years. So, but no, it's awesome to have you on the podcast and uh, to sit down and chat with you today, and you know, kind of catch up. No, it's like I said, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to be here, and thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, yeah, and for the listeners, we are short one host today. We don't have the bus driver calling, so he couldn't make it. So me and Rex are going to do what we can. Yeah, let's let's talk about the Western days because uh, we, me and Gibber, were actually fortunate enough to play against you, Gibber. More in your group, I was more ahead of the golf course than you guys for some reason. Uh, <laughs> but from 2006 to 2018, a member of the uh, the Western Mustangs wearing the purple. Uh, well, it started at 2006, so like your first year playing with them. Uh, did you know you were going to be playing OUA golf for that long, or uh, what was the game plan heading into that year? <laughs> Definitely not. Um, basically, I, I was down on a scholarship in the States on a, at a Division two school in Pennsylvania. Um, wasn't the right fit for me, so I came back to, came back to Canada, and uh, Western was a natural fit. My older brother went there, and I knew they had a pretty solid golf program, but also I just, to be honest, wanted to go and have some fun at Western. So... Uh, it seemed like a, a good fit for me that way. And then uh, I just kind of fell in love with the school and fell in love with the university and, and started to really dive into sports psychology there. And, and that's when kind of some, some other avenues opened up in terms of you know, continuing with some graduate work uh, towards the sports psychology kind of end um, and, and kind of building that way. And I was just lucky that in Canadian University Golf, you get to keep playing as long as you're a student. So uh, it was kind of a, a, happy, uh, a happy coincidence, I guess. Yeah, that, awesome. that's awesome. <laughs> and, and, what was the more more memorable like rounds or tournaments you played in OUA golf? Because like I, I mean, I was only there for two years. Giver, I think played four. Um, I those are some of the best times I had in university. Hopping in a little van with the guys at like six thirty in the morning. Everyone's still licking their wounds from the night before because it's a Thursday night was our pub night, and we're practicing around on Friday. I just remember them being so vivid. So many good stories on the range. Like everyone's trying to fill each other in from the nights uh, previously. Do you have any experiences like that playing for Western? Uh, way too many to count. Um, I mean. You know, I'll throw a couple of interesting highlights at you. One, one of the ones that always sticks out, I think, was in my, uh, I guess it was in my third year, somewhere around. We won't then. blame you for getting the year wrong. Yeah, there's it's, a couple it's some, in there. It's, yeah, it's, there's a couple in there. But anyway, the, the national tournament was out on the East Coast in Fredericton. And uh, the team decided to drive down. The, the coaches flew down, so it was just the boys driving down. So we had the, the five guys packed in a minivan. 
with all of our stuff doing the road trip. And of course, you know, we decided we only had two drivers on the team. The two, two guys on the team were old enough to be able to drive. Um, so, of course, we decided that it seemed appropriate to stop in Montreal just for a couple of hours in the middle of the drive just to let us kind of take a, a little break. So we, we had some fun in Montreal and then I took over and finished the rest of the drive the rest of the night, you know, obviously very safely. Don't worry. Uh, and and uh, got into Fredericton safe and sound. And of course, we did the reverse road trip on the way home. It had some fun in Montreal as well, and it was all quite uh, quite interesting. So that's a, a, a great one. Just you know, twenty hours in the car or whatever it was with a little road, little pit stop in Montreal. That was yeah. A, that that's a leader role there too. Stopping in Montreal and then taking the reins for the next like what eight hour drive to Fredericton. That you know, Fitz, you've been a captain for a lot of years. That's when you really earned your stripes, eh? As you know, you're <laughs> was that called a, a sophomore or a senior on the team at that point? That's when everyone knew you're going to be a captain for a long, long, long time. <laughs> for a very long time, yeah. That was uh, that was a tough drive, but uh, we we made it safe and sound and had a lot of fun there. But you know, so so many other great experiences traveling with with people to to different spots. Uh, you know, I was lucky enough to get to go play the World University Golf Championships in South Africa with Team Canada in 2008, you know, um, but just as you say, it's it's those everyday situations, you know, driving with the boys, catching up on what happened at the party the night before, you know, grinding through tough days and, and crappy weather on the OUA circuit, just, uh, just too many amazing memories to uh, to recount that way. Yeah, and oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, how did it change throughout the years? So obviously, you know, say like 2007, 2008, you know, things are a little different than as you progress through. Like, you know, how, how did your role change? You know, say when you, you know, you became more of the veteran into the PhD side of things. Yeah, um, I mean, I honestly, right from the get-go, I kind of tried to take a leadership role. It's just something I, I kind of always tried to, to bring to every kind of team or organization I was with. But actually, it started shifting almost to more of a coaching role. Um, as I was doing the sports psych stuff uh, and started getting really into that, I kind of started coaching the guys on the team in that. Um, and actually, that was kind of my first introduction to actually, you know, sports psychology coaching um, officially. So that started to kind of take shape a little bit as I got later into it, where we really started to work on some of those ideas and uh, help the guys deal with the challenges that, that we were all facing. And so, you know, we'd have a lot of great talks in hotel rooms at, at, at different tournaments, kind of dealing with, okay, this happened, how do we work through it? How do we use some skills and, and all that kind of stuff. So certainly that shifted and, um, you know, I always just try to try to, to be a leader however I could and, and help mm -hmm. the, the guys be as best as they could because to be honest, I wanted to win. And however <laughs> I could help us do that uh, was what I was gonna do. Awesome, speaking of winning, uh, 2017, uh, you won the OUA championship. Was that your only OUA championship win? Because I mean, I don't know how many wins you would have had throughout the, throughout the years at Western, but that uh, was a kind of a surprise to me. Uh, 2009, I also won the individual. Okay. Yeah, 2009, 2017 were the individuals. Uh, I think I definitely get the record for furthest distance years between OUA wins. Uh, a nice little eight year gap there where I guess I just kind of disappeared. No, I, I had lots of good other finishes in, in those years, but OUAs is a tough tournament to win. It's, it's two days. It's really quick. There's usually some really bad weather. So it's like a lot of stuff can happen in those two days. And um, it's just, it's a tough tournament to win. So uh, to, to, to do it twice is, was just awesome. Yeah. And what tracks did you win them on again? So 2009 was Angus Glen South. Mm -hmm. And 2017 was, I don't know if it was the Marshes. It was somewhere in Ottawa, somewhere on the west end of Ottawa. Oh, nice. I want to say it was the Marshes, but not 100% sure on that one. 
Yeah, so that, that brings me back. So that was my introduction to OUA golf. Uh, I think we played together the first round when I was at Waterloo. Um, and, and yeah, that was, it was awesome. That was where, kind of when I really started to get to know you. And then I feel like the, the next couple of years we got paired together, you know, just about every time we tipped it up. It's, it's one of the amazing things about the OUA is, is you really get to know the guys. And, and, you know, when you play for a bunch of years, you kind of really get to connect and, and you meet so many great guys that you can go and not only compete with and challenge each other to be better on the golf course, but also just kind of, you know, form some, some great friendships and, and some lasting and meaningful relationships that way. So it's, uh, it's really special. And of course, um, you know, beyond that, I also met my girlfriend playing OUA golf. So again, very, very kind of um, important impacts on my life that way. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, let's start. Uh, let's move on for the Western thing. And uh, I think we'd be remiss not to mention the Canadian Mid-Am Championship this year. Uh, for those listening, capped it off with a uh, bogey-free 67 to win it, uh, win it by four, if I'm not mistaken. Um, how, let's say, how does your profession affect you going to a final round like that? Because, um, I mean, the Sunday is where the most pressure is. You talk about these breathing habits and stuff when pressure's on. Uh, how much do you think that benefited at you winning that tournament this year? uh massively massively um you know there's, there's kind of two parts of it one you kind of asked how it benefited me well one usually when i play well in tournaments it helps the business because people are like oh, i want to learn what that guy's doing um <laughs> so that's always good uh but more in terms yeah. of actually in terms of how it helped me to perform um it's it's the reason i've gotten better over the years uh 100 there's no doubt when i was probably 20 or 21 i was a better technical golfer I practiced more. I think, you know, my body was obviously younger and moved a little better. So I think I was actually way better technically then. But as I've learned sports psychology and really kind of incorporated it into my life, you know, not just golf, but but widely in terms of being, um, you know, high performance in, in every avenue I can, uh, it's had a huge impact on my golf. So, you know, I don't know if you want to dive more specifically into the mid-am, but uh I don't know if you saw my third round, so I think that's probably a good place to actually start, and then you can kind of evolve yeah. and, and go from there. Let's quickly talk about the third round and then, then get to the good stuff after. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the thing is, is you know, one of the, the big kind of cliche sayings I, I really focus on is, you know, your, your failures today are your foundations for tomorrow's success. And so in this way, you know, we talk with clients all the time, failure's not a bad thing. You learn from it, you grow from it, it, it has some really positive effects. So. You know, I aggressively failed in the third round. Um, I'm not sure if you guys saw, but basically, you know, I was cruising in the third round through 10 holes. Um, I was one under par for the round. I think I was at four under for the tournament. And I think the next closest guy was around even or one over. So I had a pretty good little lead and my game was just in full cruise mode. I, you know, having one of the best summers of my life. Everything's just like, cool, let's go. Uh, you know, a little kind of sloppy tee shot on, on 11, make a quick bogey. Okay, no big deal. You know, don't fully engage in my tee shot on 12, make a quick triple. Like, oh, okay, that, that <laughs> just happened. Cool, <laughs> good. You know, regathered myself, made a nice par, and then a couple of quick three-putt bogeys. And by the time I get to 16 green... Uh, all of a sudden I went from having a four or five shot lead to like being, you know, the, the, other, the other guy made a couple of birdies and now I'm like down like four shots or five shots. And it's just like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> so there was a, there was an, oh my God moment in there somewhere in the back nine of kind of freaking out. And one of the big things, you know, you talked about my breathing. That's one of the big things that I really engaged with to help me not only stay calm, but 
also to stay kind of present and stay in, in the moment and kind of stay focused on being right here right now to get ready to hit that shot and for whatever reason I kind of lost track of that in that third round and and kind of took it for granted maybe um, and then on the 16th green is where I kind of really cued it and just said whoa take a second did a little mindfulness exercise called 10 mindful breaths just to help me totally re-engage in that moment um, and then kind of went from there Bert you know part part 17 birdied 18 was kind of like okay you know, let's let's re-engage with that and, and let's go get ready for the last round now. Awesome. And then the last round came, you obviously took the momentum from just hole 17, 18. And like junior golfers that listen to this are guys that are playing in OUAs or college golf. Like, let this be a lesson. So like things are leaking oil, let's say, on that back nine big time. And like, I mean, spraying I'll speak oil. for myself. When you, yeah, when you're spraying oil, you're spraying oil. Like, you know what I mean? It's, I'm not recovering. I need a new transmission. Uh, so you make that birdie on 18, that complete new mindset heading into Sunday's round. And at what point on Sunday do you know, like, okay, I got this. I'm in cruise control again. Honestly, that, that moment didn't come until uh, the 18th hole. I was just so zoned in in terms of just playing my best. Um, but, but the prep actually started after the third round. You know, I took a little time to kind of digest everything. And then I went back and did some of my brain training, did some of my breathing exercises and just started preparing for the, the fourth round after the third round and kind of doing some stuff that way um, to, to re-engage. And then again, you know, got back into kind of what I know I need to do, really engaging with my breathing and just set a really specific goal for myself of making sure when my mind started to wander on the last day, you know, if I started to play well and all that kind of stuff, just to, again, take those breaths to re-engage in that moment and come back. Um, and, and that was just a really, really powerful tool for me that, that I've really come to rely on to, to play my best golf. So, um, well, go ahead, and I sir. think what goes to show you there is, is, you know, how much we do say golf is a mental game and, you know, we always say it's 90% mental and 10% physical. I even look for myself if I get it spraying. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get it spraying. You've played with me enough before. Um, but it's almost instinctively, if I, if I'm struggling coming in, where am I going right after that round? I'm going directly to the driving range or directly to the putting green and, you know, look, taking a step to the patio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now it's the patio for sure. Yeah. But, <laughs> but now golf. taking us, taking a step back and thinking, you know, you, you know, you, you let the, you know, you've practiced your entire life, you know, the physical side of it's there, you know, you shouldn't be thinking about it. You know, you're pronating when you should be supinating, supinating when you should be pronating and just, you know, go take it, take a step back, reset and, you know, focus, like you said, focus on the moment and then, you know, reset for the next day as opposed to going out and, you know, hurting the body on the range for two and a half hours after. Well, you make a really great point. And this is something I work on a lot with my golfers and all my athletes is understanding what causes things to happen, good and bad, right? We, we focus a lot. I'm much more on the positive psychology side. So I focus a lot on what causes great performances, whether it's a great shot in golf, you know, a great shift in hockey, whatever it is, a great point in volleyball. We really focus on, you know, kind of coming up with your little recipe, your little equation to play great, right? And kind of mm -hmm. revisiting that. But one of the things that people forget is there's a lot of aspects to that. You know, in golf, hitting a great shot involves technical components in terms of the way you swing, physical components in terms of how you move, tactical components in terms of the shots that you're picking, mental components in terms of committing to them, and then it also has error components of just like wind and luck and all that kind of stuff. And most people, as you say, go right back to if they have an issue with something technical. And, you know, so often it's, it actually isn't, you know, especially if kind of, if you're hitting it well in the range, if you're hitting it well on normal days and it's just in tournaments that you're having some issues, it's probably not technical, 
Every, right? Everyone's listening to this and like, no wonder why I suck at golf. <laughs> but, you know, it's even, it's even something as simple, you know, I always start with the fundamentals. I was talking with a pro golfer this morning and he was just having a couple issues. And we just went back and said, hey, like, double check some fundamentals in terms of getting good sleep, getting your hydration in, making sure you're well fed on the course. You know, I can't tell you how often people come to me and they say, oh, I'm, I'm struggling to finish out rounds. It's, I'm a mental midget, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, what are you eating and drinking on the back there? And they're like, oh, nothing. It's like, well, listen, like your, brain, your brain needs food and water to perform. So does your body. Let's start there. And more than half the time, if they just take care of those basics, some good stuff happens. But instead, you know, they're going, I'm a mental midget or my swing sucks and I need to go to the range and fix it. And it's like, listen, you, you start fixing things that aren't broken. So figuring out really what the cause is, is so, so fundamental to kind of apply yourself in the, the appropriate way and make sure you're really kind of addressing the, the most critical issues. And, and for me, obviously, as a sports psych, my first kind of idea is always towards uh, the mental side. And, and again, I knew that I know that breathing is a key for me and I had gotten away from it. So that was the kind of the obvious place to start. Uh, that's it. Uh, that, I, I like that you said that, too, with. Um, you know, start with food and water. Um, because when else would you go and exercise for four and a half, five hours and be, you know, mentally stimulated for that long without putting anything in your body? Um, cause I, I used to be terrible for, I used to get so nervous that I couldn't eat anything or drink anything on the golf course. And I would find myself, you know, rounding, you know, 10 or 11 and be like, I got nothing left in the tank. And then that's when the quick left comes in play. Um, but yeah. You know, what I want to go with and kind of get your opinion on, Fitzy, is, you know, obviously you've had a really storied golf career. Like, you're, you know, you're one of the best amateurs in Canada. You know, I, I put you up there in the top five for, for sure. Um, but would you say that your game has got significantly better as you've gotten older? A hundred percent. My handicap this year touched the lowest point in my life ever. Um, so, yeah, a hundred percent. What was that? I, uh, it touched plus six as an index. Oh man, you're the man. This this summer, truly envious. Plus plus five point seven or whatever it was, yeah, right? Yeah. So, um, it, it got down there pretty good, which is uh, you know, huge. A, a big part of it is I've been lucky. I get to play at St. Thomas all the time, which is just a really good test of golf. And so, if you can kind of learn to to play there, you can you can do pretty well in most places. But, um, yeah, definitely as I've kind of aged, I've I've continued to try and learn and and understand the game in in all those different kind of areas that we we talked about a second ago and. Um, that is for sure how I've, uh, how I've gotten better, um, over the years. And then may- maybe this is a good segue into the team Ontario side of things. Um, and you know, cause now team Ontario, you're coaching a lot of folks, you know, they're much younger than you, but very high performing athletes. And, you know, I guess that side that you're, you're teaching them, but it also, like you said, you get to go out with your clients and engage in really competitive golf every day. And it, you know, how does, how has that driven your game forward? Uh, yeah, it's, it's again been, been really powerful. Not only is it inspiring just to work with, with young high performance athletes because they have all that, that motivation, all that drive. So it's just awesome to be around guys like that and girls like that. Um, and, and so that side of it from a motivational perspective is, is awesome. Um, but also, again, as I'm going in and actually working with the players and being on course, I'm trying to kind of model behavior to them, right? I'm kind of trying to show them this is what you do. Uh, and so not only does that kind of help them see it, but it also helps my own game as I'm kind of practicing what I'm preaching, right? So it's, it's a very, very powerful component of things. But, you know, obviously they're, they're young kids. They, you know, as I'm sure you guys remember being teenagers, you kind of think you've got the whole world figured out. So they don't always want to listen to every piece of advice that, that I might have. 
Um, but it's just like, man, I, I wish I could go back and talk to like 15, 16 year old self me. Like if I could go back and implant my knowledge now into 15 or 16 year old me, like I, I just would be amazed to see what, you know, what would have changed or what would have happened in the, the tra trajectory of my career. And so I just, I, I love getting the chance to work with them. And I, I obviously just wish I could continue to, to help them even more to, uh, <laughs> to, to learn some of those things. It's like, man, I can make you guys so good if you just kind of listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we're talking about the team aspect of things now. And like, obviously the team Ontario thing, you're working with high end athletes and, and this week happens to be Ryder cup week. Mm. Uh, the biggest uh, golf team format we have with, let's say the ultimate uh, mental pressure on these golfers like throughout the year outside of maybe trying to close out a major championship, but every shot means something in the Ryder cup. Um, Heading into this week, let's say like whether it's the first tier trying to close out a match, what do you think like their mental coaches are working on them with? Like maybe let's move on from the breathing because I know they could probably have that mastered as elite athletes. But what would you be telling them? Let's say. Well, let let's start off on on just a really interesting point here. So first of all, there's a great company they work with called NeuroPeak Pro. Okay, and and they're mm -hmm. a company that does brain and breathing training for pro athletes and executives. Um, and so they've been a huge part of what's really pushed me towards breathing. It's always been a part of what I've worked on, but it's gone kind of next level with them because they do it as a combo of kind of neurofeedback meditation um, that helps you to basically train yourself to get into the zone. So it's, it's more than just breathing. It's actually this kind of complex interdynamic. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because uh, their main golf guy is at the Ryder Cup this week working with the players. Do it, wow. doing the training with them. So as an example, Jordan Spieth is one of their clients and I'm sure they have a couple other ones on there that they're not allowed to talk about, but it kind of got leaked that Jordan Spieth was one of their clients. So uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure they're, he's there and I, I don't know if they're also working with some of the European tour guys. That would be interesting. They're an American company, so I don't, I don't know if he's playing both sides or, or what. Um, but they're a, a, an amazing, amazing company. I've been really, really kind of lucky to, to get to work with them. But you know, they're there working on breathing. You know, as, as Jack talked about, like feeling so nervous you can't eat. Well, guess what? This really specific breathing structure you work on helps to kind of relieve some of those nerves. So it makes it easier to breathe, easier to eat, easier to focus, easier to kind of stay in that moment. So, you know, as much as we say, like, you can move on for the breathing, like it's the most powerful yeah. kind of structural piece. Now, you can't hit a golf ball and focus on breathing. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> no. and, I think, and I think that's where you're going. Right. Although <laughs> okay. fun, funny enough, I actually do incorporate breathing into my putting, including as I'm stroking putts. So that's a, a different ball game we can go into at some point. That's uh, but, deep. But but going into the Ryder Cup and, and kind of talking with with guys that way, the biggest way that we can think of nerves and, and big pressure moments as impacting performance is basically as a distraction. So in those moments, you forget or get distracted by all the other stuff that's going on what you need to focus on to actually hit a good golf shot, right? Like I was talking about earlier, mm -hmm. your keys, that recipe, that equation for you to be able to zone in on say, okay, this is exactly what I need to do right here, right now to hit a great shot, right? If you're standing over there going, oh my God, I'm so nervous, I can't feel my hands. You're probably not picking a target. You're probably not focusing on a swing thought. You're probably not fully engaged with seeing the shot. All these different kind of classic ideas. You're probably not committing to the, the shot you're trying to hit. You know, all these kinds of classic pieces that tend to go into these equations. So that would be the fundamental piece that I'd be starting with with those guys is coming back and saying, okay, let's talk about when you've played some great golf. Let's go back and talk about what caused that great golf and really dialed into just one shot. So that when they're sitting there on the first tee and everything's going on, they can dial in and say, okay, cool. If I just do this, you know, pick a really good target. 
have a nice practice swing with a really good feeling of rhythm, whatever it is for them. Really dial into that and then let it go. Gotcha. That's, so uh, so what you're saying is when you get in the middle of the fairway and all you can see is trouble and you're not picking a target, that's not a great swing thought? Not ideal. <laughs> not, not ideal. <laughs> so let's just say I've been there a few times. <laughs> as, as have we all, right? Uh, avoidance is the most natural coping mechanism of all human kind mm -hmm. of challenges, right? If we can avoid stuff in most of the natural world, that's really helpful, right? If we avoid eating food that makes us sick, that's great. But in golf and in other sports, when we try and apply that avoidance coping, uh, it's really not very helpful because we just then spend more time thinking about all the bad stuff and we forget to actually just come back and say, cool, this is what I want to happen. And that will take care of getting rid of that bad stuff. And so, yeah, that that's an important part of kind of dealing with some of those challenges. What percentage of elite players do you think are able to, let's say Friday Cup, uh, Friday at the Ryder Cup first tee, what percentage of players do you think can do that effectively all the time? Um, I could never put a percentage on it. I would okay. say that to get to the Ryder Cup, they have to be pretty damn good at it. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, that makes sense. You know, I would bet that yeah, most high-level players, I'd bet everyone in the top kind of couple hundred in the world could probably get there and not die and, and you know, hit a golf ball in the air kind of thing. Uh, mm -hmm. Just because, again, to get to that point, you've had to handle all those pressure situations in the past. But um, the reality is, is, is golf is as much about mastering you as a person as it is mastering kind of a game. And that stage is the hardest place to deal with all of those kind of natural challenges. So, um, yeah, I think they could deal with it, but some guys thrive under it and they love it. And mm -hmm. that pressure and all that attention drives them to be even more focused naturally on what they need to do to play well rather than being distracted by it. Um, and that's a special kind of breed, and that's a pretty small percentage of the general population, but of tour pros, it's probably pretty high. Um, okay. gotcha. To put it in simple psychological terms, they're basically narcissists. They, <laughs> yeah. they basically just want to show everybody how awesome they are. And those are the guys. There's an element who, to showing off for sure. Exactly. And that's what makes them great. Exactly. Yeah, and I think, you know, from my perspective growing up in the game, it was always that element of, you know, what one person may think is someone being cocky is another one person thinking it's just pure confidence and, and it's that fine line and you know i always said you have to be you know a carnivore and be the one that's wanting to go out and get it and if if you're sitting there trying to please others you're probably not going to succeed uh, and i think that's in golf you're all on your own and uh and yeah it's an interesting point you made there with being narcissist yeah i mean the guys the, the pros a lot of the times they have almost a delusional belief in themselves, right? Like, you know, Patrick Reed coming out at the beginning of his tour career and saying, I'm a top five player in the world when he was I like, love that he's never got there too. No, right. Best in but, the world is sixth. But, <laughs> but it just shows their kind of way of thinking, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, this is just to talk culturally for a second. This is sometimes a challenge with Canadian athletes. Uh, when I talk with American athletes and I'm like, tell me what you're good at. They're just like, boom, this, this, this. I'm good at all these things. You talk with Canadian athletes and we have this like humility that sometimes is kind of built into us culturally where we just kind of like, ah, I don't know if I can talk about what I'm good at. I, I don't know. Is that being cocky? I, I don't know. Right. And, and so, you know, you make a great point about really trying to address that line and say, listen, if you're confident in what you can do, that's not cocky. Actually, in the, the sports psychology world, cockiness is a sign of an absence of confidence. It means you're trying to kind of convince yourself and everybody else that they're, you're better than you really think you are. But true just confidence in terms of saying, yeah, I can do this 
And especially when we come in, in sports like terms, we focus on what's called grounded confidence, which is all about what you have some kind of basis in reality to believe, hey, I can hit a six iron to five feet, you know, from a, a buck 80 in the fairway. So when you focus on really simple skills and you have that confidence, that's the easiest one to transfer into because if you can hit enough six irons to five feet, you're probably going to be good enough to, to play in a really big stage. And that way you don't have to worry about, oh, am I top five in the world or not? It's just like, cool, I hit the fairway, I hit the green, I made a birdie putt. If I do that enough times, I'm going to be top five in the world. So it's kind of a, a different way of looking at it, but the same kind of idea. And then maybe one of the last questions before we get into one of our first segments here, Fitzy, is what do you think of Brooks Kepka's comments? And, you know, how would that play into, you know, say if you're on, you know, Team USA's team and one of the coaches there, like your team Ontario, how would you help approach that with the other players? So, first of all, I didn't hear his comments. So you guys are going to have to fill me in on that if you're talking about something that happened recently. So, so just recently, so what he said is, you know, kind of, you know, Curry will probably know better than I, but it was more. I'll along, do, I could just say it. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Okay, so he he said like the Ryder Cup's just a weird week for him because it is a team dynamic and he's not sure if he like fits well within that team. He's talked about in major championships, you're on your own schedule and it's completely opposite. You're not hanging around these players. And then uh, he said with this, like you're practicing together, you're eating together, you're on someone else's schedule. And he said it's it's a weird week for him in yeah. simple terms. Okay, so and just remind kind me. Of, the media took it negatively. Oh, really? Yeah, um, I mean, that's interesting because usually they love Brooksy so much, right? But, um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 that totally makes sense. Golf's so individual, and these guys are all weird creatures of habit, right? So it, it makes sense that, especially for, for him, who's, you know, hit a couple of balls here and there and then crush a couple of Bud Lights, like, you can see that, you know, being in a strict team atmosphere where they're trying to do things, you know, all this kind of way to make sure they win could, could actually throw them off. Right. So mm -hmm. I'm sure they're, they're wrestling with a kind of delicate balance. And we talk about that with Team Ontario. We have a, a really great kind of Ryder Cup, mini Ryder Cup that we do with um, a team from South Carolina. So we do we go down there over March break and we have a kind of a, what's called the Can-Am matches versus them. And it's kind of like a, a young mini Ryder Cup idea. And find that balance between, you know, the team performing its best versus also letting the, the individuals kind of work through things and figure that out, it is definitely a challenge. So I can imagine what it's like at the, the biggest level with those pros, uh, because, you know, they're creatures of habit and they, you know, they know what they want. I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. So they, they or know what makes them great too. They know what makes them great. Right. And, and they're really good at that. So it's like, why would they kind of come to a, a, you know, a really big event of the year and all of a sudden start changing things. So I think mm -hmm. I can kind of yeah. get where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. I, I will save the Bryson DeChambeau talk for another another time for sure. But I'm sure we'll get that into the podcast. But uh, that will be yeah, hilarious the, to see their uh, their team dynamic. Can you imagine if oh, they get paired together? I think they should. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because Strix is an asshole too. <laughs> He's going to have them to play on different nines of the course. Uh, let's get into our first segment. We'll run through these really quickly because we're already taking up a lot of time talking about all the good stuff. But uh, we'll uh, play some intro music and then uh, give you a little breakdown here. All good. What is your handicap? All 
already. So what's your handicap? It's a segment we started on this podcast because every time we go on the golf course or like we're on a driving range where we're picking up our buddies that don't necessarily play all the time, you notice some funny things that golfers do that like no matter what happens uh, before they hit a shot, before you see them play nine holes, you could probably guess what their handicap is. With me so far? Yep. Um, so we'll ask you, we'll go in rotation. Me and Gabriel will each uh, put two scenarios in front of you and you have to maybe give us a little description on how this guy plays golf and try and guess his handicap. Okay. Interesting. With cool. me so far. Okay. Yep. And it could be high or low. Gibber will start us off yep. and then, uh, we'll have, we have two more parts to this as well. Okay. Yeah. All right. So first one here, Fitzy is, so you, you go play a new track, uh, you get paired up with the guy in the first hole finds out that you're a sports psychologist. First thing he comes up and says to you is, Hey, Dr. Fitz, what swing of thought should I go with today? Sounds like swing thoughts plural, so I'm going to go high handicap. Oh. So he, if you would give yeah. us a little range? Uh, I would guess he's 8 to 15. And I guess that's okay. not sorry, a super high handicap, but yeah, higher, I guess. That's a that's a big range too. That could be a whole like a swing thought would have been interesting. I like that you picked out the plural in that. Um, awesome. My first one is like so when they're going uh, to putt from behind the ball, like they're addressing the ball already. They keep their putter face square to the ball, their hand on the putter, and they walk behind to see if their face is lined up, and then come back without moving the putter. Oh, that's so hilarious. The crazy part is I've seen some really good players do that, so so it's hard. <laughs> a tough look <laughs> um yeah again i would say probably higher handicap probably 15 plus uh okay. but uh again i've seen actually a couple of really good players do that uh, uh like we're talking around scratch golfers you know so it's uh it's kind of funny funny scenario a <laughs> little bit of, yeah a little bit of a talent too because mike putterface would never say square to where from walking from behind the ball to and, and addressing I'm, sh- it. I'm sure there's doesn't either <laughs> So, you're, you're probably right there. To, to me, yeah. it, it's more just about making themselves feel comfortable, like they've done something, right? It kind of goes into that superstition. It's like you, you hear Corey Perry when he goes out on the ice, like touches three sides of a door before he goes out on the ice, and he has to do that or else he's going to have a bad game. So it's just it's stuff like that where it's like, to me, that almost fits in that realm of superstition rather than actually being something that's going to really help your game. Gotcha. Give her a second one, buddy. Yeah, all right, second one before you hear Fitz is, so you're playing with this guy. Seems to be having a pretty decent day. And, you know, you get out to hole 13. You look over him. He's in the, call it the left rough. You see him with the scorecard. He's kind of counting on his fingers. And he looks at you and goes, oh, if I just par out, I'll break this. <laughs> yeah, classic medium handicapper. Although, listen, everybody does it, including myself. <laughs> right? I've done this a million times. Everybody does it. So, listen, I, I think... You know, it's 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 easy to say, oh, they're kind of this or that. But the reality is I think everyone does that because we all want to play good golf. And so we're all kind of predicting out. Our, our brains are designed to predict the future. Um, and, and so they kind of want to do that naturally. So it's kind of hard to say whether that's a, a high handicap or, or a low handicap. Well, but, so uh, it, can, it can go a number of ways, you know, like from my perspective on that one is you could be a low handicap. But, oh, my God, I got to just try to par out so I break 90. I can't shoot over 90. Whereas you're like a high capper. You're like, oh, my God, if I just par the last few, I can break 90. It's the best day of your life. Best day ever, yeah. Either way, <laughs> it usually doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah, that's the opposite of staying in the present, for that's, sure. I was going to say, it's like, listen, everybody can do that, but it's the good players who would then do that and stripe a great shot, and the higher handicappers who would do that and then make triple. 
So <laughs> it, 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 the question is, what happens right after they say that? That would be the big tell about kind of yeah. what skill level they're in. I think it's even better when it's like not even you keeping score, but your playing partner tells you what you're at and if you par out. That's like more pressure, I feel. <laughs> Do you know? Did you know that you're playing this? Like, I wasn't trying to think about that, man, but thanks for telling me. <laughs> well, uh, just a, a, a quick aside, I, I was playing yesterday at Heron Point, and I was playing with an awesome, awesome group, and I, I had a really good one down on the one janky par five. And we get off the tee box, and like the guy goes, he goes, man, like that was awesome. Like, what are you doing with your back elbow when you're swinging? I'm like, oh my god, I'm done. She's ninety. I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm hoping nothing. Like, your your back elbow, that's yeah. unbelievable. Uh, so my second one is uh, this guy's wearing cargo shorts and he stores his glove in the cargo pocket. Oh, nice. Yeah, he, he's drinking six plus pints on the day, and uh, I'm saying like uh, twenty plus handicap. Love it. Oh, yeah. That old crusty glove, too. It's never a fresh one. <laughs> it's got a rip in it. Yeah. It's from Costco. All right. Yeah. Uh, second part of this is uh, you have to come up with one for us. So I know you played a lot of golf. You've, probably, you've seen us, our, like uh, us two schmucks on the golf course probably do something goofy before. Uh, you can't use a towel in the back pocket. You can't use a ball retriever in the bag. And you can't use uh, iron head covers. And but uh, give us something you've seen recently. And it has to be on the golf course? It could No, it could be anything. Okay. So here's a classic one. Putting left-handed, playing right-handed. Oh, I've seen. I could give a range to that, but I've also seen good players do that. Um, you're either hovering around scratch or you're 15 plus. I like the 15 plus number on that one with some demons. There's some demons in the, in the trunk there. So, so here, here's how I always approach that one. If you're over the age of 50, you're an under a three handicap. If you're between the ages of like say 25 and 40, you're like a 17 or an 18, just trying to find something. As an interesting side note, one of the guys who finished in the top five at the Canadian Mid-Am, I'm just trying not to call him out here, <laughs> uh, did that. And uh, you know, one, one of the best Mid-Ams yeah. in Canada did that. So I, I thought that was an, an interesting good one that kind of throws in there. And somebody else was doing that recently at, a, at, a, at something I played in. So I just thought that was kind of uh, always an interesting yeah. one to, uh, to notice. <laughs> And, and me and Gibber would never be able to chirp said individual because he'd beat us by twelve. Um, <laughs> so I need awesome. I need one more, right? Yeah. Uh, no, you don't. You just you just needed the just, one. Oh, you okay. unless you have a good one for us. Yeah. Okay. Gibber, last part of this, buddy. All right. So last part, Fitzy. So you have played lots of golf with with me. I'm sure you've you've seen Kari in passing before, but it's been a long ass time since you've played with us. You know, you haven't seen my name up in any leaderboards or or in any tournaments in a long time. So you got to look at us. We call it judging the book by its cover. Tell us how we get it get it around the track now and give us a handicap. Oh wow. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, your handicap is that you're adults and that oh. you have real lives. Good answer. So that uh, that's a thing. Uh, you don't get to just play golf all the time. Now, how you get around the course? So, I seem to remember Jack being uh, pretty tidy. Just kind of keeps it pretty straight. You know, plays really nice and and tight. I'm, I'm guessing by Kari's reaction, that's not true. But that's oh, I should, I should that, stone face. That's the uh, that's the kind of re the remember the memory I have. So, and I would give uh, handicap for Jack. I would say Jack's probably like a two, three right now, and just plays it nice and straight. Plays pretty well. That would be kind of my guess. All right. Uh, Kari, you remind me of a buddy who I play with on Western called Spencer Burke. And just an absolute beauty. 
but <laughs> thank you. Hit it all or over the map. Me. Hit it all over the map, and was just an absolute grinder slash like just found ways to to make pars. So, <laughs> I, I, I feel like somehow I'm just kind of you know caught by that uh, that reflection, and so I'm gonna throw you in at like a five or a six handicap that way. Right okay, I, I will say this. Me and Spencer would be the most insane alternate shot team right? of all time. Because I, that is, ex- like, I hit the ball everywhere. I, and I and I, I claim to be a good iron player, but, like, that's gone recently too. So I'm just, like, it's quick side note. I In the last, like, four rounds, I've made, like, maybe five putts over 50 feet, and not one of them have been for birdie. Nice. Like, I, the putter is just on fire right now, but I'm, like, still shooting that's, a million. That's also uh, so, a birdie play, so, yeah. <laughs> Me, me and Berkey would be good buddies, and and yeah, Gibber still like Gibber was never super straight. No, I, I, you, your memory might be well, he's really Fitzy. long. No, so so Fitzy, you know, in another time was also a left Not side lover. Prime. Yeah, Fitzy <laughs> okay. was a left side of the golf course lover too. So if, when we played, it was a battle of who who had, who had it less left. Yeah. Um, so That's maybe fair. there was a couple of days where mine ended up a little more to the right of the left side. Maybe it also just seemed like we were straight because we were both in the same place, and so that's yeah. kind of the way I think this about it. This guy's striping it today. He's striping. He's keeping it on the left side of the fairway all day. Yeah, no, um, number two at St. Thomas was built for both of us. Yeah, just roast the draw around there. I mean, you know, funny <laughs> enough, um, adding a fade into my game over the last probably five years has been huge um, mm-hmm. and to the point where it's the go-to shot now under pressure um, because, um, you know, when you get a little tight under pressure, you can kind of hold that fade off. Um, so that's been something I've been working on for the last four or five years and the last two or three, it's really kind of started clicking in. And so I just thought it was an interesting note to, to kind of throw in there that, mm-hmm. uh, being able to work it both ways, but actually coming to a kind of cut shot now is that real pressure shot, um, mm-hmm. has had a huge impact on my game. Fitzy, are you talking about just off the tier or throughout the whole bag? Throughout the whole bag. Including wedges? Uh, wedges have always kind of been a little bit of a cut. Honestly, I actually changed the lies on my clubs a little bit to make it easier just to cut um, shots with shorter clubs just so they can kind of awesome. tend to come in a little bit softer. Um, mm-hmm. I can still work them to the left, but, you know, it's it's that kind of cut shot is pretty standard. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, like down, down the stretch on, you know, 18, you, you pretty much always find me hitting a cut. Uh, I've got kind of a, a low fairway finder cut that I can kind of hit with the, the driver that doesn't quite go as far, but I know exactly what it's going to do. Um, and then, you know, again, I can kind of try and hit these, these little cuts under pressure that if I miss them, they go dead straight. And if I kind of fade them, they fade a little bit. So it's a, uh, it's a pretty powerful shot to know that I've got in the bag when you really need it. So, so my cut Modern? shot fits is when I just, I kind of tilt my head this way a little bit and it's a, just a five yard draw. <laughs> <laughs> I used to, and- I, yeah, I used to joke about that when I, <laughs> that, that three yard draw I hit, that's my cut. That was, yeah. that was the olden days. Yeah, I remember that it's, well. It's interesting that you, you switched to the cut. Just like modern equipment doesn't want to turn the ball over as much either. So, like, it's kind of asking. We'll watch, we'll watch the best players in the world play this weekend. There's so many guys hitting cuts off the tee now. Mm-hmm. I know there's still guys that draw it, but, like, look at the Colin Moore Gowers the world. He doesn't like seeing the left side of the golf course at all. Yeah. So. Um, awesome. Before we wrap things up, we're going to do a quick nine segment with you because I, I definitely, this is one of my favorites. Today it's going to be a quick six because there's only two of us. Um, Gibber's going to start us off with the first three holes. I'll go four through six and uh, just answer them as quickly as you want. We'll get to know a little bit more about you. Okay, shoot. All right, so if hole number one here for you, Fitz, is uh, so now y- you can give us, you know, maybe it's a, a multi part answer here. So you're you're heading to attorney driving the team van. Dr. Fitzy has control of the, the, you know, the stereo. What's playing coming into the tournament? 
Uh, oh, multi-part answer is the key here. Cause, so, uh, yeah, is it you know in a prior life, in a current life, in a past life, <laughs> or a future life? Short answer is the players take control. That's the short answer is, to me, it's all about the players. So I let them kind of get in their own little vibe and, and do their own thing that way. Although there's a part of me that sometimes likes to go Phil Jackson. I don't know if you guys have ever seen videos about Phil Jackson and the way he, like, got the locker room ready before big games where it was just like he'd have like calm meditation music on and everybody's just yeah. kind of chill and zen and so like that's something again you know especially with the push into breathing that i've had in probably the last year um i'll do that so you know driving the western team to the golf course the other day yeah that's uh we had a, a big chunk where the girls could could play some music and have some fun because i'm coaching the women's team they could have some fun in the last 20 minutes it was like okay turn the music off Time to get in the zone, get zen, get ready to go. So, yeah, it's a little bit of both. So what you're saying is when we used to ride in with Brock to Wild Boy, would probably be the reason why Kari would start 777 at St. Thomas? <laughs> that happened one time. <laughs> I mean, anybody can do that at St. Thomas, even if you're zen. That's the joy of Thank those you. first couple of holes. Shot um, 81 there that yeah, day. Yeah, exactly. Good grind. That's a, yeah, yeah, that's, that's grinding. Epic. Me and Spence, he was probably, I probably paired with him that day. Yeah, probably, I was going to say, probably played with Berkey. Um, yeah, you know, hey, if that music get, works for you, then, then great. It didn't sound like it worked for Kari, but uh, otherwise, yeah, yeah, that's not not, not the worst. But yeah, yeah. you got to find that right zone for you. Everybody's different. Yeah, per, per. Charles is Charles is about like the meditation through breathing, and I think Phil Jackson's is about some of the activities he was into in the '80s that uh, that brought that music along. That could yeah. be could be a, a worthwhile explanation too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Moving on. Hole number two for you. So as a sports psychologist, uh, what superstitions, if any, do you still have? Um, see, that's interesting because the short answer is I try not to have any. Um, but probably the biggest one that, that still sticks around is uh, I got um, like a Swiss Army knife golf tool from my grandparents um, who have passed away a number of years ago. Um, and for whatever reason, I just love having that around. And if I kind of feel like I've lost it for a second, it just kind of freaks me out. So that's probably the, the closest one where I just, it was a really special gift and I, I was really close with them. And so just kind of having them around is, is always kind of special that way. So that's probably one of the, the biggest ones that's kind of left in there. But, but otherwise to me, it's just about focusing on things that actually I know factually improve my game rather than just kind of make me feel better the way superstitions do. So, yeah, probably I try to avoid them for the most part, but, but probably that, that, that ball-fixing kind of Swiss Army knife tool and the mm -hmm. marker that goes with that, that's probably the biggest one. Nice. Right on. All right, hole number three. You're up by five with three holes to play. Are you changing any form of the game plan down the stretch? So, obviously, we're not playing match play. Nope. Because if we're playing match play, we're at the bar. Um... <laughs> Yeah, in, in that case, probably not, honestly, unless there's a moment where, you know, fundamentally what it comes down to is my recipe for hitting great shots, unless I can't go through that recipe for some example. And so I'll give you a really clear example of that. 16th hole at the Canadian Mid-Am. Uh, again, I didn't know if I was up or I was down. My game plan was hit driver, but for whatever reason, I just didn't feel committed to it. I didn't feel ready to go, and that wasn't the shot in that moment. And I knew that I was, you know, four or five under for the day, so I could probably kind of tone back and be somewhere okay. So I actually, in that case, changed the, the clubbing to go back. But, no, for the most part, I, I stick with my game plan as best as I can as long as I can still commit to it in that moment. That's kind of the, the question mark is, 
Can I actually still commit to what I'm doing in that moment? And if I can't, then I'll change it. But awesome. I like to play Perfect. pretty aggressive for what me for for me what feels aggressive, but because I hit the fairway a lot, it doesn't seem that aggressive, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, when you hit it as good as you, there's no such thing as aggression. <laughs> Every time I hit driver, it's aggressive play for me. <laughs> hole, hole number four, what's the best uh, tournament you've ever watched on TV or live for the PGA Tour as entertainment value? Oh, wow. Uh, loaded question. Yeah. These are where the hard ones start coming out. Aggressively loaded question. Uh, probably something with Tiger comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Um, certainly the 2008 US Open is a big one that comes to mind just the way he rallied through all of that so that was probably you know a, a huge entertainment piece plus the 18 hole uh, the final the, the playoff the, the day after so that was pretty epic um, and then again probably Tiger uh, winning the Tour Championship I think in, in 2018 oh, there with the, I had to fight back tears there yeah all that kind of stuff that, that was pretty special so um, that I think those are probably two of the, the big highlights that way that I kind of really enjoyed and, and got to watch. But uh, yeah, just you know, guys of our age, kind of Tiger usually has a lot of those those big pieces. So that's uh, that's probably right up there. I'm sure I'm missing something, but that's what came to mind yeah. right away. Those those are two good ones. Uh, yeah. Hole number five. Uh, what's your favorite bar in London? Oh, good question. Uh, currently you. or previously? Oh, I want you like uh, undergrad, Fitzy, like oh, full throttle. <laughs> undergrad. <laughs> Oh, that's a tough question. I mean, obviously, more recently, it would have been Joe Cool's because that's just uh, a classic fit there. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, a, a, a wild one from, from right field here was somehow I always had a lot of fun at Cowboys, uh, even okay. though I don't particularly like country music. Um, just somehow always managed to have a good time there with some buddies. So I'll just throw that one in there as, as, a, as a right field answer. But... Uh, yeah, the uh, the Joe Cools is probably the, the the biggest one, especially in the more recent years. <laughs> For sure. Uh, hole number six, uh, my favorite question asked on this podcast. So Zurich Classic, it's a partner event now on the PGA Tour. If you were to pick one partner to play with it and they had an exemption into that field, who would you want to pick that's on the PGA Tour to be your partner? And what would your walk-up music be if you got to choose it? Wow. <clears throat> wow. So... Uh, I'm guessing PGA Tour playing right now, you know, ready to go. Yeah, playing in the 2022, let's say, Zurich Classic. Okay. Uh, honestly, it would probably be somebody like Phil Mickelson. Uh, just because he's a weird but interesting dude, and I would love mm -hmm. to just kind of pick his brain. Um, but also, like, my straight kind of simple game would probably complement his insane hit-it-everywhere <laughs> game really well. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the, the first one that, that goes. And I think I'd throw in the weird meditation music as my walk-up music just to really mess with people and have some, like, super chill, like, nature sounds just playing there and just, like, yeah. really mess with people as I walked up. Yeah, create some buzz. Yeah, create, create, create some, some buzz around some, that some uniqueness there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, there's so many of those those great guys. There's just, just a million names popped into my head as you asked that question. But So, so that... And to add on that, if you were to pick someone from the OUA from your career, who are you going with? That's an easy answer, I feel. Uh, right? You think in ranker? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I don't think he's gonna go rank. You're not picking know. you, Gibber. Rank, I mean, no, rank is the me. obvious. Rank is the obvious choice if I, you know, want to play with one of the best players in the world. Um, <laughs> but in terms of of playing with with good buddies and, and guys that I seem to to play really well with, one of the old guys from the Western team, uh, trainer Turkowitz, was always a guy I played really well with, and and he was really solid. So um, certainly he'd be right up there. But again, I you know, 
I couldn't go wrong picking anybody over the years. I've been incredibly lucky with, with the guys at Western and generally across OUA to, to get to play with a lot of the great guys. So um, would be mm-hmm. happy to play with any of them that way. Awesome. And then we're, we're going to have a seventh world playoff here. Is who's going to win the Ryder Cup this year? Uh, I would put aggressive money on America. Okay. Yeah, I would wow. put aggressive money on America. Um, Can you uh, like it, like on Sunday singles? It's not going to matter. That's like what aggressive money means to me. Like you're that confident that they're going to yeah, wipe. Yeah, I think it'll matter, but not a lot. Like okay. I think like Europe will have like a small hope for for a chance, but uh, you know it's so hard playing the Americans on their turf. Right. And that's not not in Chicago at Medina when it was ten six. Looked out of reach. Just saying. No, totally, <laughs> totally. And you can tell I'm cheering for Europe. I was gonna say, listen, I I'm more of a Europe fan myself, so uh, yeah. I would 100 percent rather see Europe win. Just just so we're all very clear on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, again, it's hard to bet against the Americans on home soil, kind of. And for whatever reason, the European squad just doesn't seem quite. I don't know at the at the top of the game That's that way. That's feisty, eh? Like like Rory like needs to be at the top of his game. I feel to have that European like punch. Yeah. And they like I mean John Rahm is obviously taking that spot, but I mean, it, it for some reason I feel that exact same way. Yeah. So hopefully we're wrong. Hopefully it's an awesome, entertaining weekend, and uh, yeah. hopefully uh, you know it means something that I have Sunday recorded while I'm playing the the last round at the early bird this weekend, and so I can you know live up to that no spoilers, but uh, we'll see. Okay. Give her anything else before we wrap things up here, buddy? Well, you know, what I wanted to give, you know, Fitz, he's a humble guy, but I wanted to give him a, a second just to quickly pu- uh, plug the business he's got going, tell a little bit about that, you know, a little free ad here for him. So I know he probably doesn't want to, but I think I'd be remiss if he didn't say at least a little bit about the business. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate that. Uh, obviously, it's nice to, to get to chat about these kinds of things. Uh, so the business is Eclipse Performance, and, and basically what I do is I coach athletes in sports psychology. I coach them in mental skills that are going to help them to perform better in sport and in life. So it's, it's not just about sports, it's about greater personal development that way. And we just kind of use sport as the, the avenue or the lens to kind of learn some of those skills through. Um, basically, if people want to kind of learn more about it, they can feel free to check out the, the website eclipseperformance.ca or shoot me an email, charles at eclipseperformance.ca, and uh, happy to, uh, to chat with them and, and, and you know, hopefully educate them a little bit about what some mental training might be able to do for them or you know, a lot of times for their kids. So, uh, yeah, I'll always just I feel so lucky that I get to work with athletes all day. It's just awesome, right? Whether it's you know, figure skaters and I'm working with like Scott Moyer's group uh, of high performance figure skaters and whether I'm doing stuff like that and working them get ready for, you know, national championships or whether it's, you know, the Fanshawe volleyball team or whatever, or obviously the golfers. It's, it's just so awesome to get to, to help athletes. And yeah, you have those challenging days, but, you know, seeing somebody who has a great win or overcomes a big challenge, there's just, there's no better reward than that. So I, I love the opportunity to get to do that. So. Awesome, Fitzy. That was uh, that was an, that was an amazing interview. We wish you the best of luck both in the early bird coming up this weekend, and of course the Ontario Mid Am. We'll be following it like crazy. We'll be cheering for you. Just don't beat my boy Brett Mitchell. That's all I ask coming down the stretch. Um, looking <laughs> you, forward to. You guys aren't playing either of them, eh? No. No, I'm in Thunder Bay. It's a it's a tough journey down, but uh, uh, it's in Muskoka for the Mid Am. It's basically around the corner. <laughs> pretty much just another 12 hours uh thank you so much for jumping on that was a ton of fun and uh we hope to get uh, connected with you in the future and i would love a part two of this because i know there's there's a whole bunch of information we could dig from you that i can't wait to hear and uh, uh thanks a lot for joining us today absolutely my pleasure guys thanks for having me on and would, would be more than happy to uh, to jump on and chat with you guys at some point in the future so 
Just uh, keep in touch and uh, we'll go from there. And you definitely have two new clients. Me and Kari have been stuck in between our ears for quite some time. Well, man, we'd be way too much of a workload. Your schedule, you can't squeeze us in. No, um, we can make that work. Or I can at least give you guys some good books to read to, uh, to give you a couple of insights there. Oh, I'd be screwed if I had to read another book. I haven't read one since school. Audiobook um, or podcast. Audiobook, like podcasts, yeah. Right? I, I like podcasts. podcasts. All right, everyone, that is it for today's interview with Charles. Uh, fellow's another good one. Was a little unhappy I wasn't there for that interview. But uh, but what a treat. Like, awesome to listen to that information. Yeah, the information uh, was awesome. And then, of, of course, I played against him in university. And I'll tell you right now, if Brock University stopped in Montreal on the way to a national championship tournament, we would have lost Johnny Ross for good. <laughs> he, he would have never, we would have, he would have been Montreal's. We would have, he would never came with our team for the rest of the trip. <laughs> and that's all I could think about when he was telling me that story. I'm like, oh, Johnny Ross wouldn't have made it. But uh, it's good to hear those stories. He's a heck of a player. He played in the early bird last week and he's playing in the mid-am this week. I think that kicks off today, yep. the Ontario mid-am. We have two boys playing it. Uh, Brett Mitchell, Taylor Tominski. FaceTimed them last night. They both were having pops and it looks like they're ready Love to it. go. That's what we like to hear. Yeah. And this is a Tuesday. They're actually, it's the first round. So it'll be the second round by the time you listen to this. So you can go ahead and look at the leaderboard. Yeah, so uh, best of luck to those guys. And I think they both will contend. Those guys can play. They Those guys can golf their balls. Let's 100%. Just they make the game look pretty boring. 100%. Um, and good luck to uh, Fitzy there as well. Um, let's move on. Because this week we got some more fall series golf, which uh, we talk about the importance of that on the PGA Tour. Guys making the jump, trying to gain those FedEx Cup points. We got the Sanderson Farms, and you uh, you literally win a cock trophy if you win this thing. Love it. You've, Maybe you the best the, trophy yeah, in, it's, in, the, in circuit. Yeah, it's it's up there for sure. Um, defending champ is actually Sergio Garcia. I don't know if you remember him hitting that iron shot stiff right. on 18 last year, like both six inches tapping birdie. Um, this, uh, this one's at the Country Club of Jackson, Mississippi. Okay, so it's like a it's like a different uh, different venue for sure. I mean, it's been there since 2014, but usually we don't go to that area. I believe uh, par 72, 74, 61, and uh, 19 under par won it last year. That's what Sergio sh- shot. Um, Cameron Champs also won here before too. So you kind of see a theme about 100%. driving. Um, long and straight's the formula here. Uh, distance definitely helps, but it's pretty tight. Um, so like if you're just bombing it in the rough, you you probably won't really have a chance. And this course really has sneaky greens. They're really tricky. Really big, undulating. Uh, I think the winners, like uh, the last five winners, have been in the top twenty in strokes gained. Really, um, in the field. Yeah, that's like not even top ten in strokes gained, I should say. And Cameron Champ and Sergio are usually not the putting the lights out. No. But, um, they had good putting weeks, and that's what led to the success. Um, and this uh, this course actually has a really uh, tough set of par fives as well, relatively to like usually when a PGA Tour player is teeing up on a par five, you're like Kate Birdie, like real. Like that's kind of what you think on these off-field events, not off-field, yep. on these events at these courses. These ones actually have tough par five, so birdies is, is a kind of a chore, which I like. Yeah, I like it too. Yeah. I like I don't like uh, you like par fives. They give give players with length and ability to get there. Um, but also, I like seeing three shot par fives, especially nowadays. I mean, we see how far guys hit it. I love seeing guys lay up to a yardage and just showcase their wedge game because these guys are so good from those distances as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like one thing when I watched my first PGA Tour event, uh, Canadian Open, what was that, 2006 or seven? I couldn't believe how low pros hit their wedge yeah. shots. Like they keep them under like the trees. Like they they float every little wedge shot out. It's so smooth and it's like, um, 
so anyone that hasn't got a chance to watch like pro golf live or a good wedge player hit wedge shots um it's really impressive of how low like how low they keep it how they're swing like their body swinging through the 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 ball and not their not their hands and like how much they nip the ball and hit in the center because that thing's still zipping 100 percent so much control it's like a low like the only time i ever hit it that low with a wedge is when i hit it thin a groove thin and it's really spinning yeah. but yeah but it's not the distance control is not there so watching pros hit those shots are is awesome and it should be a good it should be a good week this week i'm going to tune in definitely on a couple days maybe not sunday but i'll uh, i'll watch Do you know anything about the golf too. course I kind of just ran through it. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else you want me to say. Um, let's, uh, let's get to our picks right away, though. We don't have to waste any more time with those. Uh, who you got this week? Okay, so this week's tough for me. Um, I'm, I'm going to go kind of a surprise pick. I'm going through the field. I'm like, I'm looking, after, I'm looking at a crafty vet. I was looking at Lucas Glover. Lucas Glover's name oh, dropped I off. Lucas I like Glover. Lucas Glover. He kind of plays well in these events. But I'm going to go with Scott Stallings. Um, not my favorite guy, but he's really consistent, hits the ball decently far, super solid, uh, swing, doesn't really get it off path. Like you said, you got to kind of hit it straight. If you can get the putter going, I like Scott Stallings this week, uh, for my winner's pick sleeper. I'm going with an SRP alum only because of what you said. You got to drive it far. You look at the guys like Cam Champ. I'm going Taylor Pendrith. Um, Oh, a nice one. I think he could sneak a, a, a top 10 out there easy this week, um, just based on what you, how you broke down the course and the game needed for that. I think Pendy gets his putter rolling. He could be easily in contention. And my struggle this... You didn't even listen to me break down the course because you asked for it after yeah, I broke it down. but I listened to parts and piece, bits and pieces, and as you were breaking it down, I was calculating in my head what my pick was going to be. So was listening, but also... Subconscious exactly. listen. That's what you okay. call being a dual threat here on the mic. Um, and on your headphones. That's it. Mic's down. Struggle pick this week. I'm going with defending champ coming off the rider. I'm going Sergio. Struggling this week. Um, it, it, it just would be tough. I think a lot of emotion went last week. I mean, he could come back, prove me wrong, play pissed off. But I think, uh, I think it's going to be a tough slugging for Sergio this week. Okay. I'll pick the exact same struggle pick because I have that name written down as well. Yep. Just because the emotional highs and lows um of the Ryder cup i know he won here last year um but he also putted the lights out last year and he was like not in form at all coming to this event last year i don't know if you remember that um i just don't think i'll have it this week will he make the cut for sure yeah Sergio, i agree ball striking wizard but uh, i just don't think he has a chance to contend this week my winner um we picked him in the olympics this is uh this is a guy that uh he's coming on the golf world in a hurry and it's mito Pereira. Ooh. Um, this guy's, uh, I think he finished fourth. He lost in the playoff in the, in the, the Olympics. And then he's made, uh, five tour starts. He has three top sixes. Wow. No like, way. I mean, this guy, this guy's on form, really, really nice player. And I think this is going to be his coming out party. And I also kind of picked two winners cause this isn't a sleeper, but I, I will take your sleeper. I like Penny this week now that you just said that. Um, but I put Corey Connors. Ooh, he, I like that. Penny. Um, yeah, he was runner-up in 2019, if I'm not mistaken, or like top three for sure. And then uh, T17 last year. Um, likes the course. So he has some good form. He likes the course, and that's enough for me to pick Corey Connors for sure. But, I mean, he's probably worth a lot on DraftKings. So Penrith, if you want to bump down to a Pendy, look out. Look. Friend of the show. Out. 
friend of the program. And I since you did an extra pick, I'm going to do an extra sleeper pick. I'm looking at Matt Wolf. I think Matt Wolf put in some work, put in some time. This guy's got so much talent. Um, I think I think he's going to come out. I think he's going to have a good year this year, and I think it'll start this week. Do you think Matt Wolf will be on the 2023 Ryder Cup team? That's a that's a hard that's question so to answer. Hard. They have so much talent. Up. Like I, I want to say, you just said how talented he I, is. I know, but I want to say yes because of how talented he is. Um, but also just looking at how much talent the U.S. has, like it almost he could have a great two years, but it, it comes down to that year. Like you got to be playing well that year and have the points in. So I think it's going to be. I think he could be a captain's pick. I think he could be playing well to be a captain's pick. So I'll say seventy-five percent chance he's on the team. Okay, and you know what? It's funny that you said that because the last month up and leading up into the picks, recency bias definitely comes into play when it comes oh, to yeah. making captain's pick. Or Billy Horschel would have been on that team. Um, yeah, I I think he has a chance too. I think you can't hold down talent for that long. Um, and it's I feel the same thing with Rory as well. Um, Rory, he's gonna have like a big two years coming up. Like, it's either going to go one way or the other. He's going to either remain the same and just be, like, a really talented guy that maybe didn't live up to his potential, or he's going to come out and, like, make a run for world number one again. I hope so. I, I see Rory as a guy yeah. who definitely wins again, but I can see him being exactly where he is right now. Yeah. He's just driving it so poorly. And that's his game. Yeah. Like, it's so beautiful to watch. But it's not beautiful to watch when it's missing. And putting fairs. too, like he cannot. I don't know. He has to figure out the greens because he hits a lot. Like he even in the rider, he was hitting a lot of good shots, but he made nothing. And that's like it's so like when you don't make anything either. I think like you you see this all the time as a player. You don't make anything, it leaks into other parts of your game. So all of a sudden, you start driving it shitty and hitting it shitty, even though you that's not <laughs> where you're struggling. Hmm. Yeah. It's that's a tough one. I uh, I hope he regains form for sure. Um, he's better golf's better with him on top of leaderboards. I agree. I would say he's a nice, uh, nice representation of the game, but, uh, that's it for me. That's it. All right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did hit that subscribe button, follow us on Instagram. We'll be back next week and the week after and the week after that with an interview. With an interview. Adam, we got interviews uh, lined sorry, up. Aaron Cockrell. Yeah, we got, we got a lot yeah, of interviews lined up. Uh, Aaron Cockrell is, um, Rick's mentioned European tour guy, Canadian guy, Winnipeg guy. Awesome interview. You guys are going to love that. But thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. We'll be back next week. Keep swinging.